to bring you this important message. Hi, I'm Chucky. Wanna play? You know, it's Halloween. I guess everyone's entitled to one good scare. Be afraid. No. Be afraid. Be very afraid. Ghouls and gore. And sometimes a little more. My bloody podcast. <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to my bloody podcast, and it's a wonderful episode today. We are going to get into it. It's April 19th, almost April 20th. We're, I mean, the movie we have today, it, it's going to take us on a drug journey for sure. It's going to be crazy. I'm Brian Kluger, and I'm joined by the co-host with the most, like every week, the uh, my partner uh of anxiety and crime uh the yin to my yang the the adventurer adventurer of life <laughs> and liberty in the pursuit of guilt preston barta how are you doing well i'll walk with you on a jewish lord of the rings hike anytime if that doesn't tell you what we're talking about right now we are talking about ari aster's new film Coming out this weekend, Bo is afraid. Of course, Ari Aster, you know, hereditary, Midsommar, two of Preston and I's favorite horror films of all time. We just can't get enough of that. We respect, we love, we want to promote Ari Aster because he is so amazing. And Bo is afraid. We've been hearing about it for so long. It was going to be a crazy dark comedy. And then we hear it's a Jewish Lord of the Rings. And it's, we heard it's three hours long. It stars Joaquin Phoenix. What is happening? We saw the trailer and the trailer showed us some visuals, but it didn't answer any questions on what was happening other than it might be about a guy going to see his mom. I don't know. But the movie is out right now. Bo is afraid. It runs at 179 minutes long. That is three hours long. It's rated R. It's from A24, which we love. And it has a budget of $35 million, which if you think about it, wow, that is a huge leap in terms of money for Ari Aster. And it's going to be released in IMAX. What? Mind blown, IMAX. So yes, Preston and I sat next to each other yesterday. We had dinner beforehand. We've been talking about it all the time. And we sat next to each other and we watched it for three hours straight. And we we talked about it afterwards. We talked about it on the way home. We talked about it this morning. Preston was the first, the first person I talked with this morning. And we were both it was both <laughs> on our minds. And we're here on my bloody podcast to tell you about it. So Bo is afraid. Let's just start right here. Um, where does it rank for us? Where does it rank for us in Ari Aster? I know that it's his third movie, but what what is is this the movie we've been waiting for? What did it? Where does it rank? 
Preston is afraid to answer. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be afraid to answer. As as Ari Aster said on his podcast, he wants to hear the truth. He would rather yeah. hear if somebody didn't like something, and then he would make a movie for us verbatim. That's what he said. He's like, I'm always trying to make a movie for the person that didn't like my last thing. Let's be those people. Yeah, that's that's true. And I loved his, as you said, I loved his first two films. I think Hereditary is his masterpiece film. Midsommar, I love, and it's just a little bit under that. I, I just think that director's cut of Midsommar is really, really exceptional. And it benefits from being a longer film. And then we get here, and... My my feelings on this film are really complex, just as complex as he was talking about on his podcast with Joaquin Phoenix, the A24 released uh, just earlier this week. And he said he talked about it. It was really interesting conversation. I think when you have a movie like this that is so complicated, you're not sure how to exactly feel and that's how both of us kind of felt like immediately after it's over i think i'll just speak for both of us and say i don't know man like we were laughing throughout it we were compelled by a lot of it but we're also kind of shuffling in our seat a little bit uh, particularly in the middle of it all we were trying to make sense of it it's not easy to digest just like any of his 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 two previous films they're not the most easiest to digest films but i would say that within their extremities they're very grounded films both midsummer and hereditary like i can i can understand those people here i can kind of understand them too but while the way that i described midsummer to people and i and frankly hereditary is that both of those films feel like they were directed by Satan himself. <laughs> and <laughs> Payman. this movie, yeah, in this movie, I th- it's almost alien like. Like it's such a. Tra- you're traveling through the cosmos and just like, it's one of those movies where you're, after it's over, you're like, what is life, man? Well, uh, do, just- do you, like it's like almost maybe because we we've brought up in our conversations before this some movies, but like maybe. It's like a horrifying of true terror 2001 space odyssey almost where you come out of 2001 and it's like, what did I just watch? There's so much. And even Ari said in that show with Joaquin, he set out to make a really dense movie, like just a dense and you and I were like looking at each other and I was looking at uh, our co our co-host uh, Susan because we all three sat together and we, we just we just kind of like these visuals come on the screen and you're just like why and what and what's going on and why is anything anything and clearly all that was by design right yes all by design and it all makes sense but I think it makes sense I, I, by not making sense. Correct. Correct. And, and I'm trying to find the question in my head and trying to find like my, my little safe spot, my, like my home base of do, if this was made by anybody else, you know, minus Tarantino or Scorsese or Ari, I'm putting him with the, with them. 
would we even give this a second thought of liking it or not? I don't know. I think both of us um, were kind of feeling Charlie Kaufman within this, maybe even a little Malick in how airy it all feels throughout it. Um, and because it's such, it's almost like it's a, it's like a spiritual journey through a man that is suffering with, from exotic, like extreme anxiety. He, and, and yeah, he's, he's, so the title of the movie is Bo is Afraid. And I'm like, if you Google Bo is Afraid, a lot of things come up in your search engine and Google. It'll say, what is Bo is afraid? Of? What is Bo afraid of? And Bo is afraid. What is he afraid of? And I would imagine that the answer to that is everything. It is super anxiety. But one thing he actually talks about in the movie being afraid of is having sex. And that plays a big part in the movie. But I don't think that's the true thing, right? No, I think um, I think it's almost like he lived this bubble boy life without ha- actually having a bubble around him. Like he, through the relationship that he had with his mom and because of, I don't, I we're, we're going to be as vague as possible throughout this already. We've communicated that a big component of this film is the relationship that he has with his mom. And so you brought up a fear of sex. There's a reason why there is a fear of sex in his right. life. I don't know if that's the driving reason as to why he has, I, I'm sure it's a, it's a factor of it all. Um, but he, he's a very lonely person and to me, like, we, we both really loved the first 30, 45 minutes of this film, like a lot. Like, I thought this was like, holy shit, man, this is really riveting stuff. Uh, I, I may have leaned over and we both kind of got the same feeling that, man, this is like a, a horror version of what about Bob of like the, the, you, you said the quote baby steps of like yeah. you know, baby steps out the door. Baby uh, steps. Because, and so I was like, Oh man, like Ari's really going for this like extreme illustration of like what it must be like to have that kind of anxiety, level, that level of anxiety to be like, uh, uh, like running down the street and you think people are chasing after you and you run inside the house, you lock your door and you, you almost think like everybody's out to get you. And like, you just, you just want to feel completely safe in your comfort zone at all times. And any time you have to break that, say to go get something across the street at the convenience store, it is like a whole day's journey. It is a hobby. An exhausting. Journey yeah. To it is. Ex- Mordor. Correct. It's like exhausting. And that's what I think that I've never seen quite done. And like Preston said, with what about Bob, you see this man who's clearly afraid of everything, but you see it in like a comical way and you don't see what his anxieties are other than like, he just doesn't like being around people or crowds scare him in a big city. And what Ari does here in at least these thir- first 30 to 45 minutes is that he visualizes the anxieties in these fears and these kind of mental instabilities and puts them in a visual form that attack this character named Bo at all times. And to see that it's like going into like an inception, like 
yeah. nightmare on Elm Street of just yeah. everything attacking you. And you begin to think what is real, what is not. And, yeah. you know, after watching it, you're thinking like, oh, maybe this was real, but it's not, you know, like somebody running at you, trying to attack you and stab you a hundred times. It's like maybe just somebody asking for money. Yeah. And, but in Bo's mind, everything is literally trying to kill him. And this all stems again from, I think, his relationship with his mother. And so in those thir first 30, 45 minutes, the story is set in motion of like a Lord of the Rings, like we have to bring the ring to Mordor. He has to go see his mother um, for his, her birthday and on the anniversary of something. And of course, he doesn't want to leave the, the place, but that sets the story in motion of him traveling to see her, which seems like it is just like a drive down the street almost is what it seems like. But for him, it seems like it might as well be on the other side of the world. Yeah. And from there, I think he just gets himself into these situations because his mind can't handle it. Uh, and it's those first 30 and 45 minutes are so brilliant. <laughs> yeah <laughs> right like because like there's some imagery and some situations that are purely like pure horror like yeah. this is what ari does best even uh, the opening of it when you start to hear the sound because the picture's black once you see all the production logos pop up a24 the picture's black but you start hearing these sounds and you're like what is this like it sounds horrifying it's like screams there's like some looks like torturous metal or something like you're like jesus we're gonna see a saw movie right now yeah yeah and then when you find out what it is you're like oh my gosh like the way that re sees the world and that's why i bring up like terrence malick because he has like <laughs> <laughs> with specifically tree of life like just kind of going through the entire life cycle of something I, it's not quite as quite I as mean, poetic is, is that yeah <laughs> yeah yeah it's ari's version of poetry it's it so uh it, it totally works for him but it, it's not like uh don't, don't expect like dinosaurs in this or something like right that. no no but, dinosaurs but, but, but enough to get the totality of of, of Bo's life. Yeah. And like it, it, it sets you up because like right at first, when he's talking about this black screen, you start hearing all these horrifying blood curdling screams and people yelling. And then like, there's like a little glimpse of like light. And I, and I thought to myself, like, wait, is this what I think it is? And like, of course it yeah. was. And I leaned over to our colleague. I was like, how you feeling? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, and that was a funny moment between us uh especially because... like what happens in like the half a second right before the title of the movie comes up i was like i was laughing like, yeah we both laughed <laughs> so yeah just i was like oh man we're in for a ride and then yeah those first 30 to 45 minutes just kind of deliver in a way that was extremely satisfying Right, it it does, and oh, Joaquin is just on. I mean, dude, that dude's on another playing field. Like he is on another level of acting than almost anybody else. And Ari gets these performances from people. Like he is a masterwork of getting these emotional and truly like uh, 
horrifying experiences to come out through a character that we really don't see because we've seen when characters react to people dying and stuff like that and grief, but never the way have we seen it like, um, like Tony Collette has done or, uh, or what's her name in um, Midsommar. Um, Florence Pugh. Florence Pugh. Yeah. He's really good at, so say if, everything that's unfolding around the characters is so otherworldly. The, the truth of the film that keeps you most invested in what's happening is the emotional truth of the characters. So it is in hereditary. It's everything that's going on within Tony Collette's headspace, but it's also like even her child played by Alex Wolf, like his character. We, we were talking about it last night of like all the little references that happen and in, in Bo is afraid that that kind of tip their hat to Hereditary and um, Midsommar that you just kind of naturally talk about things from his previous films. And so we were, of course, talking about the big, big moment that happens in Hereditary and um it just brought brought us so much joy that we could do that but also that it had those moments in the film but it it was the moment the the big moment in hereditary where alex wolf's character something happens in the car he drives all the way home and we're left to fully take in the emotions of him and so that that's just completely true here as well with joaquin phoenix's character Bo in that he's facing all kinds of things and they do seem like, as you said, it kind of blurs the line of fantasy and reality. You're like, what, what is real that's happening here? But it's, it's exactly as you said, it most likely is just that we are just seeing amplified extreme versions of what his reality is. And, um, to just kind of really be fully in that headspace was a, a really rivered, riveting experience. But there's things to talk about um, with the problems that we may have with it. If there are any, who knows? We may change our. If there's there's something so like we said, the, our families are so complex about this story that even when like one of the was it Skinner Marie that we were talking about a couple of episodes ago? Like it, it really is just kind of one of those movies that just kind of pulls the rug out from under you and probably the same way that 2001 Space Odyssey did for people. And it, it's well noted that a lot of critics at the time were kind of pushing against it. Like, like they did a lot with uh, Stanley Kubrick's work, but now we celebrate it and love it and recognize it. So maybe this is, one of those experiences where with the second hat or the second, you know, the middle portion of the film and some of the elements in the third and last chapter of it that we may come to love over time, but it's like, we just feel like we've just got the bandaid ripped off us. We don't, our, our heads just completely mush and warped at this moment that it's really hard to kind of put into words how we feel uh, but that the fact that he accomplishes that, which is probably what he set out to do, 
you know, half our hats are off to him. Yeah, ge- genius and fuck you. You know, it's kind of like the same <laughs> thing. Like, thank you, but I'm shaking your hand and this hand and giving the middle finger, finger and the other. Yeah, that's kind of what we're doing. And so, I mean, I will say, and again, then maybe this will change with time, but I think it's runtime hurts it. Like the three hours, it yeah. felt like three hours or more. And with Midsommar, Midsommar is a two and a half hour movie. The director's cut is three hours. And the, by far the three hour cut, it flows better. It feel it doesn't feel. Yeah, the progression's hours. very, like you can follow it. You know, like, oh, this happened. Oh, that's happened. Oh, there's this amount of days of this particular celebration and festival that they're doing. There's a reason as to why that, that runtime and that journey feels earned here it's a whole different story it's a whole different story so after this 30 or 45 minutes of pure chaos of Bo's anxieties attacking him and uh and it just feels like you're on like this oh brother where art thou slash raising arizona horrifying experience of a journey um Bo ends up in the middle of the woods with what looks like a LARPing session, like these, these uh, kind of like a hippie commune, if you will, a kibbutz um, of, mm-hmm. you know, hippies that live together and live off the land and they're going to show a play. They have like, they've erected this little stage and they're about to watch a play. And all of a sudden the play starts and the actors kind of start acting out what seems like Bo's life. And then through there, Bo kind of visualizes the play in his own mind and has like this fantasy animated style of him going through life now and in the future um, of something maybe like he might have lived. And this is all well and good. Like, this is cool to see. However, I don't know if the visual style or the time link they spent on this was prudent for this movie because after what you've just been through, it's nice to take a little bit of a breather, but it seems like it was like 30, 40 minutes. And like, I feel like these chapters, there's three acts. Each act is almost an hour. And uh, with this, I I like seeing this because you get to see like what Bo is like in life any every his life is fucked like everything is horrifying out to get him and with this life that's being presented on stage that he visualizes is something beautiful and sweet and amazing but then again where is it leading to where is it going why are we here for 30 40 minutes and this is the point of the movie where i'm just like oh man this is losing me like i get it where are we going what did you feel during this yeah, I felt just as you did. I think there are, like, I was still invested in it, mainly just because, you know, we're both huge fans of Ari Aster. I was, you know, I'm a huge fan of Ari Aster. And so I'm like, where are we going? And at this point, I wasn't quite fully comprehending that I should be able to understand everything and that, like what we said at the top like there's so many things that don't make sense and it's by design when they were talking about this on the podcast him and Joaquin they like even kind of given directing notes to Joaquin to make him 
like he didn't want to give everything to him. Like he, like they were talking about like blocking and everything. He's like, I didn't want to feed him so much to where like he understood everything. Like it, it, it needed to feel like a collaborative art project where everybody was reaching and they didn't know where they were reaching or what they were grabbing onto, if they were grabbing onto anything. So yeah, that whole middle section probably could have been either gutted entirely and it would have been like, but, but I don't know, would it be as peculiar? I don't know about gutted entirely, but like if you cut it down to like the five or 10 minutes, like in stuff like we've seen before, but it, it kept going, right? Like it kept just going and I like to see that in him, but if you give it just a few minutes and then get back to the story at hand, because it is, it's like a super long halftime like yeah. thing. Like it, it, it's like it's goes a on. Seth MacFarlane tangent. <laughs> um, <laughs> what's the, what's the, what is it about the, about the button? It's about the, about the, about the button, but yeah, the yeah. Seth MacFarlane from family guy button, but it goes on for like 40 minutes. Yeah, but it, if you try, if you focus it, focus on just that section on its own, it's it's a it's a very curious thing as you go along, um, because there are some, to me, there were some very unique visuals because part of the play's look is to, as you've seen in a trailer, like you see some things that kind of feel like Synecdoche, New York, Charlie Kaufman style, where some of the faces just don't have anything that has facial expressions on them they're kind of blank and very artsy looking and they're kind of playing with this it, and it fits within the 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 reality that Bo may have for himself where um but it, I don't like I don't know I don't um it was interesting to me because to me my reading of it was that the beginning was for us to understand how he feels. The second part of it is for us to understand who he could possibly be if some of that, if the anxiety wasn't on the front burner for him. Right. He, this is like a man he, he could be, right? Yeah. Yeah. But, but uh, you know, obviously, as you see in the trailer, what time period is this? What is this? It, it's just like, it, it's, he's longing for something. Like he, he is somebody who strikes me as he's desperate for connection as we can see as when, when he's younger and he has a relationship with someone else of his same age range um, that he, he longs for connection, but in the beginning we know that he can't really, he has to kind of somewhat distance himself um, for for reasons you'll understand in, within the sex department, um, but yeah, I, I like it, I, it, it. It really is. It's just too. It's just too long. Too damn long. And so I'm curious. So this middle segment where you're getting this alternate reality and you're hearing a narration, it really reminds me of raising Arizona those last yeah. you know 5 minutes where you overhear Nicolas Cage's character talking about life with his now kids and his wife and you know it ends with well I don't know maybe it's Utah um it mm -hmm. seems like that like this middle part was very similar to that but it was placed in the middle of the movie whereas like what if that 
part in Raising Arizona, instead of at the very end, it was placed in the middle of the movie. And then you still have yeah. like half a movie to get to <laughs> and it throws you off. And maybe that's the, maybe that's the inside joke there. It's supposed to throw you off before, yeah. you know, cause you see this and you're seeing like what he could be. And then I guess in the Ari Aster world, after this happens, it's the final act. It's that final Tarantino esque, like the main event where he has to confront his fear, which is everything, including sex, his uh, and his family, including his mother, yeah. Um, who, um, yeah. And so he's going to see his mom and, uh, I mean, we don't want to spoil any of this for you because this is going to come out on opening week. But what happens is I feel like this is where it gets almost almost Mel Brooksy, but also very scary because like for an Ari Aster movie, you don't expect to hear this type of music in it. You don't yeah. expect to see these visuals in like in visuals that like would jump the shark for anybody else because yeah. you're think you're sitting there and it's just like because like in this moment where it jumps the shark or what you see on screen um it starts out and like okay buckle the fuck up our main character Bo has just been forced into a dark attic the door has been shut and he's looking around with a flashlight that doesn't work the music comes in. You're just like, Jesus Christ, Ari Aster is going to fuck us up. And then it's revealed. <laughs> and I don't know. Like, I mean, I laughed, but like, I laughed like, Jesus Christ, what's happening right now? Yeah. And like, do you feel the same way? Yeah. Like at that point, you feel like in such a daze that everything was just happening at that. Like anything could happen. And you would be almost kind of like comfortable with it because it, it's, it's, it's a very bizarre, strange experience that you just kind of feel that you, you've been through something. And that's probably why he had that whole middle chapter to kind of ground us in this complete daze. Yeah. So like almost like we've been in a boxing match the whole round. We've we've gone like 12 rounds and we're completely numb and you're just like kind of bumbling around and you could see all kinds of stuff. You could be in the middle of the desert. You could be seeing mirages of all kinds of the strangest things that you've ever seen in your life and just kind of be like, "All right, man. Far out." Um <laughs> And that's that's kind of that kinda was I, great. That's kind of <laughs> how I felt in that in that moment. Like it's very fear and fear and loathing, kind of like yeah, absolutely perfect fear and loathing. Yes, uh, because there's like there's several scenes in fear and loathing where it's like, wait, what? And man, how you said he's far not, out. He's, he's not he's not tripping per se. I mean, there's a part where he does, but it's. Uh, he, he's not under the influence like they are in uh, Fear and Loathing. And that that's just kind of what is unsettling about it. You're like, dude, maybe we all just need to give Bo a hug. Right, right. You're. I mean, that's 
kind of what he needs is a hug. Like you want to hug this guy because he is the sweetest guy that you see. He is amazing. But then again, you know, after this part where there's a confrontation um, with his fam and like his fears in comes the guilt of what they actually say in the movie of like, you know, this, what you've done and how you are that your fears make you this. It actually, I mean, it's not just about you. Like this hurts other people too. And I think from that, where it looks like he might get closure um, from everything, but then in Ari Aster perfect way, it all comes back to bite him legitimately in in what can only be in it in its like final setting can be like the worst nightmare for anybody who has anxiety because he is surrounded by people looking and judging him for everything and pointing out only the flaws and how Ari build this with almost like kind of like courtroom setting almost, but with like a ton of people, somebody yelling at the top of their lungs about your faults and your horrifying anxieties and fears and pointing out why you're bad and guilty. Meanwhile, your defense can barely be heard, you know, like the good qualities don't come out and like just discussing this with you now. And I'm just like, God damn, is Ari Aster a genius? Like, I don't know. (laughs) How is it built? Or we're all going to need therapy following this. Preston, we should go to therapy. (laughs) That's why why we do this podcast, man. That is why we do this show. There's there's no way that I'd be able to write all these thoughts out. No, because like, so from what I've read is that this started out as a short film called Bo. And then it just kind of grew from there. But like Ari Aster writes produces and directs his own movies and he wrote directed and produced this one and you're thinking when you see this because when you watch hereditary when you watch midsomar it has a simplistic story it has great characters but bo is afraid he's operating on a different level and there's so much going in the background you almost think that there has to be like 10 to 20 writers on this, making sure things go right. That's all Ari. And this has to be part of Ari's mind. His, his great big fucking nutso mind that he can think of all this and make it happen. I don't, oh man, I just, I just blew my own brain. Yeah. I mean, Chris, Christopher Nolan's gone the same way. I mean, coming up with a lot of what he did for movies like The Prestige and Inception. And Tenet. Uh, Dunkirk. Uh, yeah. Like, with the way that is constructed. It, it all, like, probably clicks for the filmmakers. And they can probably see all these little things. I mean, obviously, they can probably see all these things and they have an understanding of the film that we never will. Um, but that's what's unique is that there's going to be so many videos that come out about this, so many other podcasts, so many other reviews and articles that try to break this down or try to make sense of it. They'll recognize all these little details in the frame. Like it's, that's what's interesting about watching like Midsommar is like positive and, and 
seeing like, oh, they got like the story of the film on the paintings that they have throughout the, the colony and in this kind of like Mission Impossible kind of way that they do in the opening credits. And then you can look at the details in this and like his apartment and like some of the writing that's on the wall. Like it's going to be a unique movie to revisit. And following, I'll just straight up say this, uh, after seeing it, I was like, I don't know, if, is this going to be the first Ari Aster movie that like I have no desire to revisit? But through conversations with you and my own thinking, I'm beginning to see more and more. It's beginning to reveal itself more and more to me, or it's just like haunting me so much that I just cannot shake it. But I, when it comes to saying, is this a movie that I would recommend to people, certain people, yes, that can probably, if I recommended this my, to my wife, I can almost envision my wife, but she'd probably be like that with all of Ari Aster's other films because she has not seen them. I have explained them to her. Um, so I can just imagine her sitting next to me while watching this and being, Preston, what the fuck are we watching? And so for, for those who really like something that's very easy to grasp and, but like Midsommar, like you said, Midsommar, Hereditary, like you can understand them. They get wild and crazy. But you can understand them. They're grounded in ways. This, it's so, like, you're so floating above everything almost the entire time with little moments of dialogue and other character pieces or something that kind of touches you down a little bit, but you come back up. Um, like, we haven't even talked about, like, Amy... Uh, Amy, uh, Amy, Amy Ryan. Ryan. Amy Ryan's character and, Nate, and Nathan... Nathan Lane. Nathan Lane's character in this film who are hilarious to me and they're just kind of there for a transitional point in Bo's life and there's but they kind of speak a truth to what's kind of going on in the world with like with how they take characters in and you'll see other characters in here um like you can understand them in a degree and you can see flashes of our own reality. Well, because those two Amy Ryan's character and Nathan Lane's character are the first two characters that seem normal. Yeah. And that's like, well, in almost 45 minutes, an hour into the movie, but then slowly you start to realize like something's off. Something, something's amiss. Uh, And with that scene with them and not scene, but like that segment with them, it's in what comes to fruition later. It's just, it's mind boggling, but they're, they are trying to help Bo, but I don't, it's, yeah. I, I mean, you think too hard about this movie and you have to take a nap. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there, there, there's a lot to it. There, there's other things we didn't mention. Like, well, I kind of briefly mentioned that he, when, when, cause I was wondering when I was watching it, I was like, man, when are we going to see, Parker Posey when are we going to see him as a younger kid as we see on the poster in the trailer when we're going to see him as an old man yeah and how Um, are they going to do that like you almost think because like when this movie gets going where is it going to go or are we going to get flashbacks fast forwards or whatever but 
<laughs> how Ari edited this and inserted those different time frames or even the same characters into the present, it's beyond me. Yeah. It's because like, well, like you said, Parker Posey, we both love Parker Posey, but again, when does she show up? We're thinking about it. And I thought about that in the movie. I was like, wait, isn't Parker in this? And when she shows, she's so good in the role um, for many reasons. <laughs> um, we'll talk about those reasons, Brian. Yeah, let's talk about those. Yes. <laughs> I don't want to give anything away. Um, but it's, I think it's the movie is full of surprises and they're good surprises and bad surprises. And like every surprises that you won't understand now may understand later later maybe yeah. the ones that you do understand now won't make sense later, later. because you'll <laughs> so it's uh it's a very fascinating experience it's exhausting i'll say that much like i thought it was exhaustingly weird um but yeah man it's still it's still haunting me and i probably will still be thinking about it and what does that say that just I know. says that 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 that's an artist that we just don't get too often. Um, there's there's a maybe a handful of them that I can mention that have the capacity to pull off something that has this sort of effect on you as a viewer, and and, and a lot of them are within a twenty four, yeah, under un, under a twenty four's umbrella. Um, like uh, I the, the when it came to the production section of it with the, the the middle section we're talking about and you know seeing his life in this kind of way on stage and I I, I naturally thought a little bit about one of my favorites of a twenty four which is the souvenir part one and two because they were films about a it it's a in the movie. There's a character who is a filmmaker making a movie about her life. And when we get to part two, it's a whole other, it's like another inception level of, of thinking. Um, and that, it reminded me of that, like a, an artist kind of examining himself or maybe examining his own like nonsensical nature the, the perspective that they may have of the world and so it's uh it, it causes conversation and that's that's always a good thing um so yeah we could just continuously pick apart things and i and i i hope one day you and i when the gloves are completely off on this film and we can really try give it a second view maybe there will Hell, maybe he might do a director's cut or A24 will do one of their special releases where they have all these great special features on it. And it seems like Ari Aster's been having a lot of conversations about the film outside of doing the podcast that he did with Joaquin Phoenix. Like, I think he had a conversation with Martin Scorsese. Somebody, please, did they record that? I want to know what Martin Scorsese thought of this movie. Right. I want, I want the same thing with Mariah Carey. Yeah, yeah. What does she think of this movie? Yeah, just so if you don't know what we're referencing, uh, A24 released a post on their social media of Mariah Carey at the premiere 
of Bo is Afraid. And for those who just like don't know what that means, you're like waiting for where is, is Mariah why is Mariah Carey, gonna, Carey at yeah. the Boa's Afraid screening yeah. <laughs> premiere? <laughs> yeah, well, it's kind of like Meryl Streep showing up at it. Like Meryl Streep watched a Ari Aster movie. Oh my god! It's just like like where did how are how do these artists view each other? Like what do they think of each other's work? And so it, it's just one of these films. Like I really want to put it in front of so many filmmakers, right? To be so like, like, what did you think of this? Well, like, you know, just thinking about that and thinking about all the anxiety and all this, I mean, like this feels, this feels like if Woody Allen took a lot of fucking drugs and made a horror movie, almost like, cause Woody Allen is very frenetic. He's uh frenetic and he's, um, problematic. Yeah. Problematic for sure. Yeah. But I mean, Good. Woody Allen's mind is all over the place when he comes to write things. And I've seen all of his movies. Like I have the collection and everything. And I like like, the, like this kind of like ADHD kind of thing. Right. And you're just like, where is he? You know, and like maybe it's like almost feels like maybe it's Woody Allen's insecurities and fears because he's very notable that he has a lot of anxiety and he puts that on to his movies, but this is a very horrifying one. Uh, and thinking about it, like I, I do like this movie, but can I get past its runtime? Can I get past its editing? Can like these slower parts, I feel like just bring me out where I think there could be a director's cut and he just like takes like 45 minutes out of it. <laughs> it might be like, damn, that was a better movie. Like this yeah. flowed more for me, but would I miss those 45 minutes if they weren't in there? Would it still make a big of impact as it did now that we're talking about it still? I don't know. Uh, yeah. Because I mean, the, the, this movie ends, like if you've seen Midsommar and if you've seen Hereditary, you know, these movies endings are not glorious. They're not happy with puppy dogs and baseball cards and, you know, these, and this one's falls in line with that. Like it's, it ends and you're left feeling of like, Jesus Christ. But like with Midsommar and Hereditary, you're, it's very understood what's happening and going on. With Boa's Afraid, you're left with and initially like, what the fuck did I just watch? Why and what is anything in this movie? What's it trying to tell me? And I mean, luckily, Preston and I really love taking the time to dissect it and like really dive into it because it's yeah. making me appreciate it more. Yeah, I'm going to have to watch his original 2011 seven minute short just called Bo, which uh, if you look it up, the log line is very much the exact same. It says like a neurotic middle-aged man's trip to visit his mother is delayed indefinitely when his keys are mysteriously taken from his door. He's subsequently haunted by an increasingly sinister chain of upsetting events. Although it's not a made apparent in the film, it, it should be said that Bo once used a Ouija board. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, that was written anonymously on IMDb for the 2011 short. Um, but yeah, I, it, 
all, all this to say is that Ari Aster has a very curious brain and he's clearly an artist working on a level that I probably will never comprehend. And, but I respect the hell out of him, even though I didn't take to this movie as much as I did his previous work. I do admire it. I do respect it. I do have my personal uh, opinions about it with this, primarily that middle section and various other things that happen throughout the film. Um, and I'm kind of wanting to force it into this certain box, but if I forced it in say, we, like you said, if they trimmed all those things out of it, would it be as unique of a film as it is? Um, I don't know. I, I Maybe I would try to Hollywoodize it too much and try to... Well, like, for, I, I was just going to say, for me, I like movies that if they're going to have wild and like an airiness or extremities to it, I want it to be something that I can latch onto like when I was describing earlier about like you know floating and and have moments of touching down I want it to feel like Midsommar and Hereditary that have a leg down at all times but every once in a while it's kicking its leg up like Mel Brooks um and Spaceballs with that little alien thing um (laughs) hello my baby hello my honey yeah so um, I, I personally, that's the kind of, those are the kinds of films that I like. I, I, I like ones that challenge me and make me think a little bit. This one challenged me a lot and it was very exhausting, but it's been very fascinating that the, in the wake of it all, like what's been going on in my head in the aftermath. And it makes me like it more, but then I'm just like, I ah, know, should I really allow Ari Aster to invade my mind so much that, you know, I respected his first two works so much that I'm just willing to give him a hall pass for all these things. I don't know. I still don't know uh, if I would, when it comes to giving it a fresh tomato or rotten tomato, what do I do? I I think ultimately I'm going to give it a very, very soft pass. Um, and I I will recommend it to certain certain friends that I have, but I'm just gonna lay all that information out there. Maybe I'll just share this podcast with them and say, hey, maybe brace yourself a little bit. You're gonna you're gonna face some things that you're gonna be really challenged by, and also be very exhausted by, tired by. Um, but let me know what you think, like two days after you see it. Right. It's like buckle up. And that brings me to the question. Midsomar and Hereditary are pretty easy to market. Yeah. Like promo wise, like like so from a PR standpoint, like it's very easy to promote and publicize those two movies because they are horror movies. They have relationships in them and stuff like that. This movie is on a different level because the Trailer shows one thing, and then you know it's three hours, and they're building it in IMAX, which mm-hmm. IMAX are some of the biggest theaters. And you usually reserve IMAX movies not for a movie like this, but for Fast and Furious, for Jurassic Park, you know, something like that. And 
how do you and, think and tickets is... were made available in advance that's right. something too right like like it's a, like it's part of the MCU and <laughs> what i mean are people going to go see this i mean 35 million dollars i guarantee you that's pretty easy to make back if you're a horror movie like if you're a certain kind of horror movie if you're insidious if you're in conjuring you spent $35 million to make this movie. You are going to make your money back tenfold times three times four or over with this movie. Even in our screening last night, I noticed at least a dozen people get up and walk out. And, yeah. and that wasn't just press members. That was people who paid to see, to see paid to see it, paid to see it. Um, and I'm curious if this could be an IMAX. It's like the, a big movie in IMAX. What like what's this say for the future of Ari? Like I think Ari can do anything. I think A24 is still in his wheelhouse, which I would be too forever. Um, but does this like give them like do they like we need to step in a little bit, or do we still let him do whatever he wants? Or what do you think? How do you think this is going to perform critically and financially? Well, critically, it's it's at around 70 something percent on Rotten Tomatoes. More and more reviews will roll in um, as we get, uh, especially even now, it's probably different. We're recording this a few days before it uh, releases. And by the time that you're listening to this, maybe the maybe it's down, maybe it's up, I don't know, more, at least more reviews will be there. Um, and then we'll have some sense of like, like I would like to know how many tickets they've sold for like IMAX screenings and to be a pay a paying customer for this to see this movie in an IMAX theater like 20 25 I, bucks a ticket yeah yeah it's um i don't know if this necessarily needs to be seen in an IMAX movie in an IMAX setting um I mean, I always love any chance to see a movie as big and loud as possible, but does it warrant the that extra financial, uh, those extra pennies that you have to suck out of your couch to go to see this? I don't think so. Um, but I love that A24 is just like, they're such a anomaly to me. Like there's... They're they're taking swings all the time, even with like their their marketing for movies like Pearl and with uh, the T-shirts that they're putting out. Like personally, I could say, dude, all those T-shirts, they're pretty they're pretty ugly, man. Like I, I a lot of the horror movie T-shirts that come out and you see them pop up on websites. They got like graphics and crap all over the the the, the, the sleeves and but they're they make me laugh because i don't know if they do know like do they truly think that's well designed or is that all kind of part of the fun like do people buy these ironically they do a really hell of a good job with their disc releases that they do i hope they continue to do that even though i get somewhat frustrated with like what format are y'all going to go with like packaging format? Cause some of these kind of look like nice and clean with the barcode on the side and this kind of criterion fashion. And then you got these big honking book ones that are very hard to put on my shelf, but all that to say, they're always taking chances. They're always taking swings. I don't understand their choices a lot of the time, but that's part of the allure of them. And that's part of the allure of Ari Aster too, with, with what he chooses to put in his films and how he makes us feel 
Um, so uh, yeah, I just have a lot of all. I just have a lot of mad respect for a twenty four in Ari Aster. I do too. I do too. Uh, they are constantly bringing their A game, both of them, A twenty four, and even if some don't hit, uh, just like Ari Aster, maybe this doesn't hit. Um, I don't know how this is going to do critically and financially. Like you want it to succeed because you want people to really dive in, but yeah, I hate that there's going to, there's probably going to be a conversation after this, if it does poorly both ways, if it does, uh, commercially and critically, not as well as one would hope when they're putting out a movie like this, does a 24 is does a 24 really have these conversations with their filmmakers about like, Maybe we gave you too much creative freedom. I don't know. Like, but no artist wants to kind of have that sort of conversation because we always want to promote. We're so bombarded with so many remakes and so many familiar projects over and over. Like, you just kind of swap out the characters and it's a different place, but it's basically accomplishing the same thing. And we're getting kind of numb to it all. And we're desperately wanting creative projects like this. But then every once in a while, you'll come across one where you're like, Jesus Christ, I don't know what to think of that. Right. Um, so I have to ask, I have to ask, here's a good question. And I'm gonna and I'm gonna give a shout out to my my nephew, Will, um, who's currently in college at Tulane. Um my nephew will got really into movies in high school and um, he comes over when he was in town and when he comes back in town for college and we watch a lot of movies that he's never seen. So I introduced him to Ari Aster. I introduced him to Eggers and his favorite movies now are like the witch and the lighthouse and Midsommar. Like he loves these movies. So he's a huge Ari Aster fan and he's been looking forward to this movie for a long time. Bo was afraid. And so you know, Press and I both posted on our Instagram like we were there, we're excited. And, you know, Will texted me and was like, I'm calling you right after. <laughs> it was really funny. And so uh, I didn't hear from him, but I heard from him today. He called and I, and I go, are you excited? And he's, he's, you could hear the excitement in his voice. It was really great. And so I told him a little bit about what I felt. It was like within a sentence or two. I don't want to give anything away. He's going to see it tomorrow in New Orleans. Um, but he had a good question. And so his question was, do you think anything for this movie will be nominated for an Oscar? And that got me thinking. I was like, okay. Because I thought that was a great question because this movie, yes, it has Oscar worthy performances in it and i would say patty lupone joaquin and even parker posey but do you think anything else for this movie should be nominated like the script is insane and like how do you not nominate this for best original screenplay because there's nothing else like it and like from script to screen is probably in incredible do you do set design production design do you do hair and makeup do you do best picture do you do sound like this movie has all of the elements to win every category at the oscars but it, you know it will never happen 
Yeah, but that's yeah, that's just kind of been the thing with like it's either certain type of filmmakers or um, filmmakers that work within a particular genre. Even though, as we said with this film, like there are horrifying moments to it, but you know, it's it's no different than like uh, it, it's it's a more dialed up version of like something that the Coen Brothers have done. Um, and those movies have been recognized for Oscars. So I I don't know. Um Do you want it I, to be nominated? Do you would you like to see somebody? I mean, I definitely would like to see uh I'm glad you mentioned uh Patty Lapone. Uh, is that how you say her name? I thought it's Patty Lapone, yeah. Okay. So uh she is so good in this movie. Like she gets like the way like I couldn't take my eyes off of her. She, she plays her his mom, uh, older version, and I just could not. Like she's intense, but she she has a complete handle of what she's saying and how she's trying yep. to make me feel. Like she she's doing that so confidently, and, and Joaquin, like he's very good. Like he does a great job of you know, keeping me invested along for the ride, even if I may, you know, be like, whoa, uh, throughout it. He's he's very good at making me understand, even emotionally, even if I don't have those visuals kind of surrounded it to uh, fully put me in his mindset. He's emotionally put me in that mindset. So he does a good job. Nathan Lane's very funny. Uh, Amy Ryan's very funny. I love Parker Posey in this. I don't know if Parker Posey is in it to the point where I don't. I don't think she she would have the strongest chance of getting an Oscar, even though she's really good with what she does. Like, but Patty, like she is, man, she is. She's hit. She's swinging and she's hitting the home run. She really is, and she is a veteran um broadway actress and she just commands the stage no matter what she's on and in this movie you're just like where has she been all my life <laughs> yeah yeah and also um uh what's his name uh, Stephen mckinley henderson oh he's so good his, so good in this he plays his, his therapist uh he was in uh he was in dune for he's he had a short moment where you see his eyes go white and you'd be like, Oh, it's that guy. Or he's in fences really good. Lady right. Butter. But he's like, he's the, he's the safe spot of to bow in this movie where he always has a smile on his face. And he always has like that heartwarming feel yeah. good, home cooked meal sweater on. And you're just like, Oh, like, I, yeah. And, and then like things, uh, yeah. There, there, there's a moment where he smiles where I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh my God. Uh, I know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, yeah, this movie is, gosh, Bo is afraid. What is he afraid of? It's really up to you what he's afraid of. And I mean, the answer is any, everything. And it's... Yeah, so, so, so come in your PJs. <laughs> yes yes uh come to the theater in your pjs and watch Bo is afraid from ari aster again everybody we try to get ari aster on this show maybe one day we'll we will um we want you to see this movie it's out now um 
we challenge you to go see this and talk with us about it. Like it's, it's a challenging movie and it's going to, and which is great. Like some movies are there for popcorn and fun. This one is there to entertain. Yeah. Choke (laughs) on your parkour and entertain, but also like it makes you think like crazy. So Bo is afraid is out now. Ari Aster all over it. Wonderful performances. It's, I wonder by the end of the year if we're still going to be like, God damn, Bo was afraid because it's kind of early in the year. It's April. Are we going to forget about this? Right now, it's hard to think that like anything will do. But we haven't seen anything since Bo was afraid yet. Like we've got Guardians of the Galaxy 3 coming up. You know, like, is this going to wash that away? Or am I going to look at every fucking other movie and compare it to this one and be like, this wasn't deep enough this didn't have as much going on like i don't know ari aster is gonna ruin me yes he is um <laughs> so same for me yeah because we have a we we will for the first time since the pandemic we have a f- completely full slate of movies that are coming in the summer season summer blockbuster season we're like it's going to be like how it was where, you know, you had two big movies, like we had, you know, Barbie and Oppenheimer coming opening on the same weekend where you're just like, Oh my God. Um, so uh, yeah, we're going to be choking on some content for the rest of the year. And um, I don't know, but even just kind of measuring this movie with a lot of stuff that's kind of released in, within the past decade, time will tell. Um, but I don't know if I thought about a movie as intensely as this one, as, uh, as some, I mean, there's, there's been a lot of movies that I've thought about this, this intensely, but this is one of the few. Yeah. What, one so. of the few for sure. Bo is afraid. Go see it. We are my bloody podcast. Find Preston Barta. Uh, find his amazing review of the movie. Find his interviews on freshfiction.tv, the Denton Record Chronicle. I am sure, folks, when you read Preston's review of this movie, it's going to go to a lot of places. It's going to make you feel things. So please visit him and <laughs> see what he has to say. I don't know. I feel like everything I needed to say was in this. And so um, we're just going to post this. <laughs> yeah. Th- it, yeah. Please. I may just share this on freshfiction.tv and put a little paragraph in front of it and uh, say, hey, listen here. Yeah. Listen, listen here. Listen to our, our us talk about it um, and spoiler free, basically. Uh, but yeah, find him at Blu-ray Dead on Instagram. Find him at Preston Barta on Twitter. Find him on YouTube and all his amazing reviews. I'm Brian Kluger. You can find me at highdefdigest.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram and YouTube, Brian Kluger. You can listen to me on Wednesdays from noon till two, Soundtracks Radio and Electromagnetic Radio. We'll be back next week with hopefully a palate cleanser of something like, you know, <laughs> Troll 2 or something. I don't know. <laughs> Troll 2 is not a palate cleanser. <laughs> I was just seeing if he wanted to pay attention. Uh, so, yeah, we'll be back next week uh, with something else. Um, but Bo's afraid Ari Aster. Again, Ari Aster, thank you and fuck you.